Now, after I, you know, like I was, I spent about four years in therapy going four times a week. So I, and I went to a ton of different therapists and it's a lot, dude. So I left with a great map. I knew it. I knew, I I knew my mind. I knew all of it. Um, And I didn't, I was way less self-aware. But what I hadn't done is felt this stuff or understood it. And that's really where psychedelics came in. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. Classes in session, about to learn a lesson in the game. We embrace the pain, take it and we make some change. Without scarcity, I don't know where I'll be. It's, it's how we learn and now it's your turn. Let's get it. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we are back. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to the show. You guys, today's guest is the co-founder of Scribe Media which is a company that helps people write, publish, and market their books. He has written four New York Times bestsellers, which have sold over 4.5 million copies worldwide. He's credited with being the originator of the literary genre, fratire, and is only the third writer after Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis to ever have three books on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list at one time. That's incredible. He was nominated to Time Magazine 100 Most Influential List in 2009. He received his BA from the University of Chicago in 1998 and his JD from Duke Law School in 2001. He currently lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, Veronica, and three children. So this is a guy that I actually discovered his work back in 2007, reading one of his books, or which was really... It was, it was perfect for where I was at in my life with the partying and the, and you know, the, the bar lifestyle and athlete lifestyle, all that. And he did such a good job at documenting all of that for people like us to read and be like, wow, I go through this stuff too. And a lot of us obviously didn't document back then, right? So he did a really good job at being the one who did. And you kind of get some insight into his life. So he's come a long way. He's done amazing things. And he came and sat and hung out with us today dropped a lot of value, a lot of knowledge on his journey, what he's gone through. We talk about some psychedelics, some plant medicine stuff. We really unpack his story about what he thinks is going on right now and how, if you're interested in writing a book, how his team can help you. So hope you guys enjoy this. In fact, I know you will. So sit back, relax. Tucker Max coming right up. Tucker Max, welcome to the show, brother. How you doing, man? Thanks for having me, Lance. (laughs) Excited to have you on, man. I know you're a busy guy and it's a crazy time right now. Where are you at right now, man? What's, what's happening? How are you doing with everything? Like everybody else, man, I'm in my house. <laughs> where, where else would I be, dude? <laughs> now I'm in, I'm in my library doing yeah. a Zoom call with you. Yeah. How's everything going for you? Good. I mean, as good as can be expected. You know, like I, yeah. I, I'm, I live in a big house. I got a pool. I got a guest house. I got a big green belt that backs up to my house. So like I'm as good as can be, you know? Yeah. How's everything been through the business for you though? Like has, has there been some challenges or how has everything flowed so far? Obviously there's, there's a lot of people having to do a lot of different pivots, a lot of different directions. Some stay the same, some haven't. How's that been for you as far as business goes? Yeah, the, the first month was rough. March, like March was rough for almost everybody, I think, unless you were in medical supply. Um, like no one bought anything. So we were down probably 70% in March. 
but we launched uh, this thing called Scribe Book School, where we basically took our process. You know, we help people write, publish, and market books. Yeah. And, and what we sell is high-end services. Like, we don't sell courses or any bullshit like that. So we wrote a book on, on it's a big book, really good. Uh, 500 pages on how, like how to write and publish a book. So I did a one week like webinar basically for like three, four hours a day. I taught the entire process, slides, templates, everything. Like if you were a client, this is the exact process that you'd go through, except we, we do it for you instead of you having to do it. Mm. And, um, and it blew up, dude. It, it, we had 5,000 people on the webinar and people loved it. And they all demanded like, <laughs> Like uh, that we offer because we didn't have anything low end to sell them. They're like, they're like we want a coaching program or whatever. And it was like, okay, we'll figure that out. Like that's, yeah. you know, we're not opposed to making money. So we figured it out. And then uh, like two weeks later did the sales webinar and sold like 150 grand on that one. Then reran the whole thing the next month and did another 250 Crazy. or 300. And so, so in seven, six, seven weeks, we've done like 400,000 in sales on a product that did not exist in February. Um, and, and so it's ended up being really well. April yeah. became our second best month ever in terms of top line uh, revenue. Yeah. And so, and, and May's, May's already trending as our best month, best month ever by far, actually. We're like, it's crazy actually how well things are going. Wow. Yeah. I uh, had Michael Burnoff on the other day. He says you, he you did his book good. with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. He was talking about it. And I know that you had you did David Goggins, and that must have been yeah. that must have been a pretty cool process working with him. Yeah, no, oh. David, he's exactly like uh, <laughs> he is on on uh, Rogan and podcasts. He's exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, I love it, dude. So I I had followed your work back in '07 with mm -hmm. Hope You Serve Beers in Hell. It goes way back. It's pretty yep. funny because you know I came from a hockey background. Went on, tried to play pro. I didn't went into the bar industry, ran bars and all that stuff for many years. So I remember connecting with your work like, as you were like the guy talking about the shit that we were doing too, right? Yep. And, yeah, of course. And I really, what I, what I find interesting, bro, is like, first of all, obviously there's a backstory to it. And what I've been diving into more of your work is, is your transformation spiritually and how you've had to really identify that. And how you've been able to do that because I've listened to different podcasts of yours. I've gone deep and I don't want to go too deep where like I know too much, but there's parts there that I've, I've really appreciated because I've had to go down the similar journey. Uh -huh. So before we dive into that, man, what was it like, instead of asking you, tell me about your story or backstory, what was it like for you growing up in the family that you grew up with? And maybe from the period to where you wrote the book, your first book, Hope You Serve Beer in Hell, what was the biggest struggle you faced that later on you realized had the most impact on your life? A big question. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So what was, what was my family like? Um, they weren't very good parents. Like I was an only child and my parents were the iconic baby boomer narcissist. Like they didn't really care that much about me. They probably shouldn't have had kids. Uh, they were too stuck in their own narcissistic bullshit to to spend any time or effort on a kid. And so, like, uh, I had, at, at my core, a pretty lonely, um, emotionally negligent childhood. Like, mm. um, that's just the reality of it. Uh, I had a few people in my life who were pretty amazing and wonderful. They weren't my parents. And so uh, they weren't like evil people. They didn't beat me. 
No one put anything on my butt. It was none of that, right? Like it was not the narratives that most people understand as abuse. Yeah. No physical, sexual, no starving, nothing like that. Uh, they just were really shitty uh, at being parents. Mm. And so, uh, all right, so, so how did that help me? Um, I'll tell you, I always tell people my parents gave me two things that helped. They gave me a really cool name. Tucker Max is my real name, yeah, and that's a badass name. Like, no one forgets my name, right? So that, that was a big advantage. The other thing that they gave me is that they didn't pretend to care, right? I know a lot of people who had parents that were worse than mine in a lot of ways. And I don't mean just physically, sexually abusive. Uh, I mean, like, they were way more negligent or um, emotionally abusive in lots of different ways but they mixed in love with their abuse. Mm. And so like it, that makes it really hard because what, what your parents essentially teach you is that abuse is love. If they do Mm. that, my parents didn't care enough about me to love me. And so that was painful and awful. And I still am working through the issues of that. Right. Yeah. But thank God they didn't pretend to love me because I learned a lesson that a lot of people still haven't learned. I learned that the adults aren't in charge, that they're not responsible, they're never coming to save me, that if I want to survive and I want to thrive, that it's up to me, right? And, and I learned they don't know what the hell they're doing. They're broken and lost just like everyone else. And uh, most people, if they learn that, it takes them into their 30s or 40s, uh, if they learn it. I learned it, I don't know how, I learned it implicitly by the time I was probably six, at the uh, latest, I, I couldn't have explicitly told you that at that age, but I mean, I was cooking dinner for myself at six, you know, and um, uh, you know, I was uh, man, like, I, like the stuff I was doing at 12 was so ridiculous for a 12 year old that like, it was funny. My mom took me to a psychologist when I was 12. Cause like, you know, like any young boy hitting puberty with no male around and shitty parents, I was having behavioral it, quote behavioral problems mm. she took me to a psychologist she spent the psychologist spent like two sessions to, one talking to me one talking to my mom and one of us together and then she like my mom's like you need to go see this woman and the first session the woman uh, her name was pat wellens she said tucker you're not crazy at all you're a pretty normal kid uh your mom's crazy and your mom's got a lot of issues and i'm gonna keep your mom wants you to go here because she's blaming her stuff on you I'm going to recommend that you come not so I can treat you so I can help you navigate what you're about to go through. I was like, what? okay. <laughs> like, like now I finally met an adult who's like, Hey, yeah, you're yeah. in some shit. This sucks. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, it was, uh, I was like, all right, good. I, I can deal with this. And so she was, she was amazing. She was one of the people who really helped me the most in my life. And, um, uh, so that, that's, a, that's what they gave me. It's, it's mm. so funny. It's like, everyone's like, I don't understand. We can't trust our government. I'm like, yeah, I knew this shit at six. Yeah. You know, like if you, if you're learning this now, well, welcome to the club, you know? So that was what they gave me is they were so bad. I didn't ever have to unpack the love. When did the self-awareness kick in for you though, that what you're doing, you know, obviously see, this is where I can relate is that going after the girl to fill the void that 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 chasing the girl, getting the girl, and never really filling you up. Yet you know that you're trying to chase something—the booze, the partying—and you're realizing. And I've heard you talk about it too. It's like 
that fucking void never gets filled. No. It's just like, it's like an endless thing. You get to the thing, you're like, oh man, this isn't even what I wanted. I'm 44. I think I probably started to really internalize that about 36, 35, 36. That's my age now. Yeah. That was when it really became not intellect. I kind of, if you read my books, you can tell, I even joke in the books about how like, I know this is disastrous and it's not going to yeah. last forever. And I, like, there's a lot of jokes about that in the books. <laughs> yeah. And I wrote those at like 28, 29, 30, 31. But I, knowing something intellectually and emotionally connecting with are totally different things. Mm. And so I don't think I emotionally connected with that reality until it was 35 at the very earliest. Mm. Probably 36, 37 is when it started to sink in. Mm. Yeah, it was because when that really sunk in and when I really decided, all right, I need to make changes in my life because I don't want to do this anymore. It's empty and shallow and unfulfilling and it's just not fun anymore. And not even not disparaging it. Like you want to get drunk and hook up with a bunch of people. Cool. Like if that, if that's the developmental stage you're in, I went through that stage. Nothing wrong with that. Some of us have to go through that. That's okay. Um, But when I was coming out of it, it was like, all right, like I'm tired of this. And uh, I I met, I'm 44. I met my wife seven years ago. So I was 30, yeah, 37. I was 37. I think when I met my wife, so that makes sense. Yeah. I figured out about 36 and then it took me about six months or a year to really kind of work through it, internalize it. And then, cause the big thing is I had never had problems meeting girls, but I remember complaining to my therapist, like, why can't I meet the type of girl I want to marry? And she's like, well, where are you meeting girls? And I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh shit. Like, man, right. like, God damn it. How's this old woman fucking calling me out on this? And then I really thought to realize, and the real gut punch she gave me was, um, are you sure you're the type of man? She, she had me describe the type of woman I wanted, right? She's like, yeah. that woman sounds amazing. I'm like, God damn right, she's amazing. Yeah. And she's like, uh, you sure you're the type of man she's going to want? I was like, fuck yeah, I'm amazing. I'm like, she's like, hold on a minute. No doubt you're amazing. But that woman you described has her pick of the best men. So are you telling me you're better than the best guys out there as you are right now and as a boyfriend or a mate. And I was like, yeah. fuck! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fuck off, you I stupid hag! <laughs> <laughs> she was right. She was right. So I had, to, I had to, and it wasn't about like, I didn't meet the girl and change for the girl. That's not how it works. That's bullshit. Yeah. I had to realize that I had to change before I could be the type of guy who would meet the girl. You know? Yeah, yeah and it's, you talked about this. I've heard about you. You're talking about this. And I think it was Tom Bilio. You're talking about how, and this is, this is why this resonates for me, man, because you know, the, the projection we put the facade, the, whatever you want to call it is one thing, but you really have to change who the fuck you are inside. And it's not about telling people, Oh, I'm like this now, or you should do that. They, they only see it by what you do and how you show up, how you treat people, how you speak. And man, it's such a powerful thing when you start to like really get into those, 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 those like dark spots, right? And you really start to like get into that. How with, with therapy, this is this something I've never done is actually speak to a therapist. How did that help? And how hard was that for you to like, why not? Head around? Why not? I don't know. I haven't. And I've been, it's cause you're scared of changing. Well, I have like, I want to do it. And I have been doing a lot of the work. It's just one thing I haven't done yet. And I'm just curious as to like, when you started doing that, 
what was your whole, like, your, what did you think of it? And how hard was it for you to kind of get used to that and open up to yourself? Well, it took me six. I had the, the therapist that I ended up uh, going to, I had her number on my desk for six months before I called her. Yeah. So like just having the courage to go. So that's why I know you're scared because I was in the same position, right? You're scared of changing. And um, which everyone is like, that's just normal. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you, here's the thing with talk therapy. I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. But it is like, that's like saying if someone, if I asked you, hey, I need to get in amazing shape for hockey. Uh, I, I've been squatting all day. It's amazing. And it's like, okay, well, what about like, uh, you know, running or benching or, you know, like a million other exercises? No, 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 dude, I just squat. <laughs> it's like, okay, but hockey is not competitive squatting. There's a lot of other skills and muscle groups and things you need to work on, right? So uh, here's the thing. There is nothing that is the thing you do for therapy. Like, and I mean, uh, like all like, uh, you know, getting better or whatever. Talk therapy is a specific type of modality. It works really well as an ad, like as one of a suite of tools mm. for, uh, for here's the problem. The, the benefit, here's the benefit of talk therapy. The benefit is once you find a good therapist, and, and don't worry about what style they have or what field they're in, cognitive behavioral or, or psychoanalysis or IFS. It doesn't matter. It, the truly, like there's all good data on this. The ideological orientation of the therapist is almost totally irrelevant. What matters the most is your connection with a the therapist, right? Like how well do you relate to them? How well do you connect with them? Because all therapy really is, is you essentially... Um, it is two people uh, who are uh, 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 connecting uh, to work on one person's problems. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, if you don't connect with a therapist, doesn't matter uh, how good they are, and if you connect with them really well, then they can be as long as they're mediocre mm -hmm. or better, then uh, it's going to be effective for you, right? Okay. Right. So, um, so that's the most important thing with therapy. Finding, I, I went to twenty before I found one I connected with. Uh, and then once I found that one, it was like, okay, we were off to the races. It's like in goodwill hunting. <laughs> no, seriously. It yeah. really is like, yeah. like there's nothing, there's nothing a therapist you're not connecting with can do to reach you. Mm. But when you are, it's very easy. So, so, uh, first got to find one you connect with, then you need to understand the point of talk therapy. It is essentially, um, what talk therapy is best at is, uh, helping you get a map of your issues right? To understand your issues, understand your emotions, understand your mind, understand what you're thinking, why you're thinking it, all that sort of stuff. Talk therapy is very good at that. Mm. But like, so, but like imagine, so imagine I'm going to New York city, right? And I go to you and I'm like, Hey, uh, uh, can you give me a, help me find a, get a map of New York city or draw a map. And so you help me draw this amazing map of New York city, right? Mm. That the map is not, traveling New York City. It's not walking around New York City. It's a guide to New York City, right? And so it's very effective as a guide. But if you just draw the map and you don't do anything else, then therapy is pretty useless. And most, ther most people in therapy and most therapy are not very good at, at walking the city, which would be feeling your emotions. Mm -hmm. The whole point of um, all therapeutic modalities uh, uh, the all effective therapeutic modalities, f they have the thing they have in common is that they open space for you to feel your emotions, 
uh, and feel the issues and then uh, process and let go, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially trauma, yeah. right? That's basically what therapy is, is bring again, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm condensing a lot of stuff yeah, down, yeah. right? Uh, but basically, uh, so talk therapy helps you understand uh, that you went through trauma, what it was, how it impacted you. But I'm not saying it can't. There's definitely people who can have very effective therapy and get through a lot of this stuff. But that means that they're essentially going beyond the normal therapeutic bounds and feeling that stuff either on their own or in therapy, right? Mm-hmm. I, for me, therapy gave me, got me 80% of the map and 10% of the emotions. You know, so 10% of the, of, it's like it, I walked around like Chinatown in New York city and that was it. Right. Mm. Like I didn't even get anywhere near. So it was not very effective at getting me to feel my emotions. Now, after I, you know, like I was, I spent about four years in therapy going four times a week. So I, and I went to a ton of different therapists and it's a lot, dude. So I left with a great map. I knew it. I knew, I, I knew my mind. I knew all of it. Um, and I didn't, I was way less self aware. Uh, but what I hadn't done is felt this stuff or understood it. And that's really where psychedelics came in for me. Mm. Like once yeah. I started psychedelic therapy, uh, I started with MDMA and then went to mushroom, MDMA assisted psychotherapy and then mushrooms and then LSD. And um, dude, they're a game changer. Yeah. Then, then I started feeling stuff and then it opened me up to all kinds of emotions. And I, people, I don't know why people think like, I don't understand people who take that shit recreationally. <laughs> like I can't imagine taking LSD yeah. and going to a concert. Uh, that just sounds like hell to me. Yeah. Like it's hard enough to do that stuff sitting on a sofa with an yeah. eye shade on, yeah. you know, like uh, with beautiful music playing and everyone you love around you and all this comfort. Fuck man. I don't mm. No wonder people have bad trips, man. Like the yeah. stuff that if you're doing psychedelic therapy correctly, all the worst shit comes up. Yeah. And then, but then you're able to feel it and process it and let it go. So that's why in, I'm coming up on two years of, of pretty regular psychotherapy, uh, uh, psychedelic therapy, yeah. which means like, you know, uh, between every, every six weeks to three months-ish, I'm doing sessions. And um, I've gone 10 times further in that two years than I did in the years and years of the other therapy, 10 times further. And, uh, and it's, it's way more, I'm like beyond a different person, dude. It's like, mm. I can't even, it's hard to even understand who I was then. Like I was not yeah. connected to myself and I'm not even talking about 10 years ago. That's yeah. true too. But I'm talking even like four or five years ago, I was angry, disconnected, confused, all this stuff. And now it's yeah. like, I felt all those emotions and I've felt all that, all those unfelt feelings and all that trauma. And I've been able to let so much of it go. Mm. And so now it's like, Oh God, man, yeah. my life is just, everything's better. Yeah, I um I've been doing the same man with Sil Simon. Just like I did <clears throat> I did my own thing in the dark, did like three and a half grams, went uh used East Forest's music yep. for magic magic mushrooms. Dude, it was uh one of the most powerful experiences and I've been, you know, microdosing and it's really helped me as well. But it had it forced me to look at things I didn't want to look at. Uh, you know, it's like an emotional roller coaster. And like I also like what you say, it's it's not for everybody. It's not, this shit isn't for everybody, but it can definitely be helpful for the right person. For everyone who wants to get healthy. Yeah. And it's good to get curious, right? Like I was, I'm fascinated by that. And the more I hear this stuff, I haven't dialed, I haven't delved into the LSD yet because of my anxiety that still has this weird thing. And 
the MDMA, I guess I still relate that to my partying days. And I remember just getting so anxious whenever I was on that stuff that I'd have to drink to like numb myself from yeah, that anxiety. You know, I, I will bet, I'll bet any amount of money. The reason is because a lot of it's, here's the thing with mushrooms, yeah. man. I like mushrooms. They're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, mushrooms are, uh, they, they're very unusual, man. Like they're very <laughs> different than LSD and MDMA and they kind of have their own intelligence, right? Yeah. And uh, especially at the lower dosages with three and a half, it's a decent dose, but it's not, it's, it's kind of an in-between dose. It's definitely yeah. more than like a lower level therapeutic dose, and, but it's not as high as like a serious psychedelic dose. So you can still manage three and a half. You can still yeah. play oh, with yeah. it. You can still You're push it around and avoid stuff. And you can, you know, like yeah. you can, you can avoid a lot on three yeah. and a half grams of mushrooms. The thing with MDMA is like, it, it, it's very soft and gentle. Yeah. Um, but it, it, if you, as long as you're willing, a lot of deep, dark, horrible shit will come up. Right mm. now, the thing is because it's, it, it's very friendly. So you can turn it off if you want, you can stop it. What I do now, man, is I combine MDMA and LSD. Like, uh, one of my, uh, guides, uh, that I work with has been doing this like 30 years. She's like crazy experience. She, um, she starts people on MDMA and then usually combines MDMA and LSD with them. Right. Mm. and uh and so like uh what 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 mdma is a non or lst is a non-specific amplifier so like if i'm feeling anxiety it will pick up the anxiety and then expand it right uh which is what you want that's the whole point right like you're trying to feel this stuff like the point is not to do drugs and see cool shit in your eyes, right? The yeah, point is fun. to, right? I mean, it is fun, sort of. I don't it's know. Scary. It's never it's been weird, fun for me. It's weird, I don't get dude. the people who think it's fun. Because I, I don't ever do it as fun. Yeah. I go in with the point of like, there's, I've definitely had really enjoyable times on it. But uh, I go in with the point that I want to go into the deep, dark places. I want to go into the shadows. Yeah. I want to go into the trauma so that I can bring it up, feel it, and then let it go. And so the MDMA LSD combination, because LSD kind of forces you really harshly to look at the truth. And, but combined with MDMA helps you process it. You get incredible work done on that combination. Mm. That's kind of my go-to combination now is a fairly heavy, not heavy, but a fairly 200 micrograms of LSD to 250, which is like pretty heavy dose, decently heavy dose. And then like 120 to 150 uh, milligrams of um, MDMA. And so that's just enough MDMA that like I'm, I, I, my serotonin levels are kind of dumped and I'm feeling open and I can handle the really hard stuff. And it's enough LSD where it pushes the hard stuff into my face. Right. And so that's how I've gotten an immense amount of work done in the last six months. What about with uh, journaling? And I've been doing this practice called expressive writing and you obviously know mm-hmm. it too. I've been Pennebaker, James Pennebaker. In yeah. Fact. I, dude, I've been really resistant on journaling for a while. And this is actually, you know, this is why it's cool because you talk about writing books and I want to get into that. I've had this thing open up, bro. Like I started writing and I just fucking love it. And I just, this, I feel like I've almost healed in a way from, I've had this trauma that, you know, in my teenage years that I felt has been there but I hadn't brought it to the surface and actually sitting there with it and writing about it is just been so powerful, man. Yeah. No, writing's amazing. Like journaling and yeah. writing are some of the best modalities to heal. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, why do you think I write <laughs> memoirs? I've written four. Yeah. 
I'm writing another one right now. I teach this to people. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's, it, uh, there's a reason everyone on earth wants to write their book. And it's not because they want to make money or be famous. It's because they want to yeah. tell their story. And yeah. really what they don't even understand what they're saying. Um, it's funny in our process, we have two, we have a memoir process and a nonfiction book process. Okay. And in both of them, we kind of have to walk people through their fear and all their assumptions. But deep down, what most people want from writing a book is they want to find a vehicle to heal their trauma that they don't have to admit to themselves as therapy, hmm. right? They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to be understood, uh, which is all that's, if you don't have those things, that's traumatic, right? And you could have amazing parents who still either unintentionally traumatized you or amazing parents who got traumatized in other ways or whatever. Like that's the, it's not about bad or good parents. That's, I had shitty parents uh, that didn't meet my needs, but like uh, that's, I know plenty of people who have great parents and still have issues. That's not, it's not about the parents. It's about how you're dealing with whatever issues you have. Right. And so we have to walk people through this in, in the workshops and the way we teach it is like, we don't really teach a lot about trauma because once you say trauma, people like if they're not in this space that you're in, they don't know how to talk about that. So we just talk more about fear and resistance and things like that. And then as they write, they start to understand this stuff and they're like, Oh yeah, I get what you mean. And this and that, and they, and they get it. And then they'll, you know, have they, if as long as they keep writing, they always end up having these cathartic, amazing moments and they realize all this stuff about themselves and they get to the end and like this is the greatest journey I've ever taken and this and that. You can do most of that journaling. You don't have to write it in a book. You don't have to publish it. I would say at least half the people who go through our memoir workshop never end up publishing their book, but they're all super happy because writing the memoir is what really mattered to them, not necessarily publishing. Mm. You know, and because of exactly yeah. what you said. Because that the the way the the, the way you really heal trauma is you, you write the story of what it means. Like you notice how it was kind of like your question. The beginning was a good question. What was hard about your childhood and what did you take from it? What did you get from it? And that like, I mean, I could have sit here and bitch about, Oh, this happened and that happened. And my mom left me and what, okay. Yeah. But then I can also, I can write a new story about that. And the story is I got a great name and that they were so absentee they taught me by default how to be independent and self-reliant and responsible from a young age, which is why I'm sitting in this massive house and like with, with a, an amazing life and this huge company and all these other things, right? I wouldn't have had this if I'd had great parents. If I, if I had great parents, I'd probably have been like a doctor or something, you know, something cool and fine, yeah. but I wouldn't have been an entrepreneur. I wouldn't have been an innovator. I wouldn't have been all these things. Like I needed trauma was the forge that, that um, uh, was the fire that forged my iron, you know? Yeah. But that, that's just a story I tell. It, yeah. It's just as true as any other story. I could sit here and tell you a victimization story about that. But if I did, if I was the type of person who did that, I wouldn't be who I am and where I am, right? And that's what a lot of people learn. That's what we kind of subtly teach in memoir is that you are rewriting the, your story. Not the facts, because you can't change the facts. Not what happened. What happened happened, right? That's not what we're saying. You're not pretending it didn't happen. You're not ignoring it. You're not uh, lying to yourself about it. You're being very honest about the, the events and the facts. But then you get to decide what the meaning of those are. You get to write that story, mm. right? Yeah. Like right, We're seeing it right now worldwide. So global 
pandemic and lockdown, hundreds of thousands of people dying, all this sort of stuff. Okay. What's it going to mean to you? Yeah. What it's meant to us is our second best uh, month ever on track to our best month ever. Our next month, the company's blown up. Uh, our, our family was already really close. We've been even closer. Like we've taken this and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to write the story of this and we're going to make this great in our life mm. uh, or as great as it can be. Right. And everyone has that choice all the time. Very few people realize that or take it. Yeah. It's so true that that story and the narrative that we tell ourselves for so long, do you find yourself, have you fully, I don't think you fully ever get over trauma or whatever. Right. But do you find yourself dancing back and forth sometimes with that, that old person that you used to be? Do you come, does it surface like those tendencies? Cause with me, I'm like, Sometimes they'll come up and I'll be like, what the fuck? Where did this guy come from? He hasn't been around for a while. You know, like, you, you haven't, he- it means you haven't healed that part of yourself yet. Yeah. There's definitely parts of myself that I've healed and let go and they don't come back. Yeah. There's other, the, but the, like the more shallow wounds, right? The yeah. deeper wounds. Um, no, like I, I've dealt with the deeper wounds are just many, many, many layered, right? Yeah. They're whatever, 10 layers, 15 layers, 20 layers. So the, the, like if they're, if they're 10 layers, I'm just make up a number. If the deep wounds are 10 layers, I've dealt with most of my uh, wounds, let's say that are seven layers or less, right? Now I'm at like layers eight, nine, 10. And the deeper you go, the harder it gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but you're more equipped. You're in a better space. You're ready to deal with them. When I was dealing with wounds at levels two and three, I couldn't have dealt with what I'm dealing with now. I wasn't close to ready. So yeah, certain things will come up again and again. And it means either you haven't dealt with it or you're dealing with a new layer on it. You mm-hmm. know? Which is that's yeah. the process, dude. That's how that's, it works. That's that's life. That's the journey. Mm-hmm. Right. So seeing how this is kind of a change in direction, but I, I would love to touch on it. Seeing the entrepreneurial world out there, especially right now. And, you know, there's so much bullshit on social media. There's good, there's bad. There's so many people saying different things. Where do you see people going wrong in this whole arena of entrepreneurship? Like where, wrong in what way? What do you mean? Well, where, where are people failing? Like, where do you see people doing things that maybe are taught that aren't necessarily true? You know, because there's so many most different the stuff that's taught is not true. Yeah. That's why most yeah. people don't succeed at it. Business is not fucking hard, man. It's just not. At yeah. its core, I, I think most people don't even understand really what business is. At its core, all businesses is meeting the needs of other people in such a way as that they're willing to pay more than what you have to pay more for what uh, how you're meeting your needs than than it costs you to produce it. Mm. That's it. That's all it is. You're just meeting needs. Like there's a weird idea that a lot of people have, like, oh, capitalism is evil or markets are evil it's like markets are just people meeting each other's needs so if you think those are evil that means you think humans are evil that's an that's an inherently anti-life philosophy and a lot of people have that philosophy dude they don't really understand that 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 like the way you help people one of the ways you help people is trade with them not the only way but Mm. one of the main ways right Mm. i produce x you produce y we want to trade Let's do it. We're both better off, right? But most people don't understand. At its core, I think they don't because they, they focus on I want to be good at business or I want to make money, right? But like they're, they're focusing on second and third order effects instead of core things, right? Which is meeting needs. If you can meet needs in your business, then almost always, if you have a business that meets needs, 
almost always you're going to make money. You're going to do the rest of the stuff. Assuming you can, you know, do any of the, the foundational stuff. So that, that's, that's number one. Number two is like we just talked about. I think most people at their core have a victim mindset. They think that life happens to them, that they have to react to life. They don't understand that they create their life. Mm. And I mean that literally. And I mean that like almost as little. I don't mean it like you magically, like I just uh, think of a Lamborghini and it shows up. Like I don't mean it quite that literally, but think about it. Like I created my own reality. I was quite literally a 27-year-old, 26-year-old, no money, been fired by uh, the law firm I worked at and by my dad from the family business. And uh, uh, I created a new reality. I I wrote a new reality. And it brought me millions of dollars and worldwide fame and all the women I could fuck and all the alcohol I could drink. And that was a reality I wanted, you know, right? So at the time, that was amazing. Uh, And then I stopped wanting that reality. So I created a new reality. And, you know, I get do the work to get there, of course. You don't just yeah. think of it and it comes, unfortunately. But your thoughts become actions, which then become the reality. And so I thought of a new reality. And now I live in this amazing house with, you can hear my kids in the background, of course, yeah. like uh, fussing and crying. I got a one-year-old, his teeth are coming in, he's going crazy. Uh-huh. And then two other little ones. Uh, my wife and my mother-in-law is here. Like I have a whole new reality. A company, 50 people full-time and 170 freelance. And I have a new reality because I've created that reality right? Most people just don't believe that. They don't believe yeah. either that's possible or they don't believe they can do it, which are different things. And uh, it, if you don't believe that, it can't happen. This is where I want to break it down because this is awesome because you are, you have been able to create it. Like what you want, you've been able to create, but what are the foundations? Like what are the things that you have fucking had to do consistently to do, to, to create this? Because you're an intelligent guy and you Mm -hmm. probably, things probably, you know, I'm not going to say they come easy. There's a, there's an amount of work. Wouldn't that be great, man? Yeah. But like there's (laughs) an amount, there's an amount of work, but there's also that energetics that you got to have in your body, which is why dealing with trauma is so important too. Like what are some of the fundamentals that you have been able to consistently show up doing that maybe most people don't understand and they just think, oh, he fucking, he's successful just because. Right. No, I know. Um, that's why I always tell the story about how like I had to, used to have to date like uh, ugly girls so that like I could get someone to buy me protein because I was too poor and no one believes like, oh, like, what? I don't know. like <laughs> no, that's the truth. Uh, like, look, I'm not that good looking. It's not like I got girls with my looks ever. That was not my <laughs> Come thing. On, man. Dude, stop. I, I wish. <laughs> I got good looking girls, but only because I was smart and funny. Never, yeah. no, no, if a girl ever looked at me, it's like, you're so attractive. I know either she's crazy or she's really mediocre looking. It's literally universally in my life. That has been the truth. Yeah. Like I've had tons of girl, hot girls who were super into me, but they were not, my looks were not a barrier. I wasn't mm. ugly. I was good enough looking where being smart and funny was more than enough. Yeah. But uh, no, no girl. Because I've had friends like that. Friends like dudes who are like crazy hot. And I've yeah. seen hot girls just walk up to them and be like, yeah. oh my God. you're." And I'm like, I didn't even know this was possible. <laughs> this is insane. Like, what the hell is this? Yeah. Oh, I had one friend like this. He just drove me crazy, man. Yeah. I got, and it was so yeah. funny because he was kind of dumb. And so girls would walk up to us because of him. And then they talked to him for like half an hour and they're like, ugh. And then I'd be cracking jokes the whole time. And they look at me like, 
I didn't notice you, but you're actually smart and funny. It's like, right, because yeah. he's attractive and I'm ugly. Fuck <laughs> off, dude. Yeah. Uh, all the time. All right. So to answer your question, though, how do I, how do I, so I'll, I'll tell you the first. There's really two things. I think there's two things. Yeah. One is, like I told you, the, the gift my parents gave me, the, I realized from a young age, the adults were never coming and they didn't know what they were doing. And so there were, as a result, I decided to take true responsibility and accountability for my life. I am fully, absolutely responsible for everything in my life. And as I've grown older and matured, I've taken more and more responsibility, right? I used to have a victim mindset about my yeah. parents. I used to blame them for everything. And yeah, they did that shit. But like, that's my, I'm, they did that shit to me when I was nine or whatever, right? But at 29, I'm the one still talking about it and thinking about it. That means I'm the one still carrying that forward. So it's now my fault. Right. Yeah. And so like, no, nothing, everything that I'm, that I'm resentful or angry about now is a hundred percent my fault. Even if someone else did something wrong or harm, harm me in some way, because I'm the one choosing to carry that forward. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, taking full, and I mean really almost extreme accountability and responsibility for your life. Don't blame yourself for other people's stuff. Yeah. But, but you, you, I, we have a saying in our house with our kids. You, no one made you feel anyway. Like there, no one can make you feel anything. You, someone can do something and then you might feel a certain way, but you're deciding, yeah, you don't, maybe you don't decide in your initial reaction, but you're deciding to keep feeling and you're deciding to hold on to feelings. Mm -hmm. And we said, no one's responsible for your emotions and no one can make you feel any way you don't want to feel. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so that like most people, like I was extremely, that way at 29 and now at 44 I'm 10 times more that way because like the more you take responsibility for your own life the the better you are and the better your life can be number one and then number two and this is part and parcel of responsibility I'm always always willing to accept the truth I might not see the truth very often because God knows I'm wrong all the fucking time right but once I see that I'm wrong, once I see the truth, I'll always accept the truth, no matter what it means, right? So that means I got to admit I'm wrong all the time. It means I have to change my mind all the time. Okay, that's fine. Most people will not accept the truth because accepting the truth forces them to change their identity and they don't want to do that, right? That's why they don't change. That's why they don't grow. That's why they don't become who they want to become. We see this in, in our, our author workshops all the time. Like writing a book changes who you are. It changes your identity. It absolutely does. And I warn them about this. And we have all these exercises about this. And like the ones who take those, those exercises seriously and really emotionally open up to like the, the identity and fear stuff, they end up finishing their books. The ones that don't, the ones like, ah, whatever, blah, 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 hokey pokey or this is, uh, you know, uh, woo stuff or, 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 the, or are too afraid to go in, they don't ever finish their books mm. because, they, because they're afraid to change their identity, right? And you see this in politics all the time. Like whatever side, red side, blue side, it doesn't matter. The, the red side sees everything through the lens of what makes the red side, right? Same with blue every single time. The, my, my favorite, the example's playing out in the news right now. Yeah. So, uh, Republic Democrats were all over fucking, uh, what's his name? Kavanaugh, the Supreme court justice and Donald Trump and all these about like, uh, you know, sexual assault and all this stuff. Okay, cool. You want to take that position? I'm with you. Hmm. And then their guy gets accused of the exact same thing. And, and like 
by like basically unimpeachable uh, accusations, like totally yeah. right. Like, like her stuff is absolutely true. And they come out, a bunch of them came out and was like, yeah, she's right, but we have to support, we hate Trump and we have to support Biden anyway. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well then stop. Yeah. Stop pretending you're anything other than a, a tribal hack. Those yeah. people will never be successful or happy or anything other than miserable because they have to lie to themselves about mm -hmm. everything, right? Really yeah. about everything. Because like, if, if, if any belief system you have requires you to tell yourself a lie, that's an anti-life belief system. And I've never, ever been willing to accept lies to myself. Yeah. Don't get, I'm wrong about stuff. So I see stuff wrong all the time. So I'm not saying I have a monopoly on truth. No one does. But whenever I realize I'm wrong, I will change my mind. So mm -hmm. the, if you put those responsibility and a true willingness to, to accept reality and change in the face of it, your success is basically assured mm -hmm. at that point. You just have to pick your field and go, I think. I love that, man. Radical acceptance is it's so important, man. Ownership of your life. Every way. Literally. I guess there's a third part, though. You have to believe. You have to believe that, you're, that it's possible to yeah. change. You have to believe it. That's true. Because you can have full responsibility for yourself, and you can always be willing to accept reality. But if you don't believe that you can change or things can change, then why would you take action? Yeah. Right. So I think that's, that's another belief I've had from the very beginning is that I've always believed that, um, I could do things, mm. not everything. Cause I can't do, I, God knows I wanted to be an NBA point guard more than anyone on earth. I didn't, I wasn't close. Right. <laughs> so like, it's yeah. not like you know, belief doesn't get you everywhere, but belief will always get you somewhere. Right. And, um, and I've always believed I could find a way to do almost anything, uh, uh, basically anything. And, um, and it's pretty much born out to be true, you know? Fuck yeah, man. That's great. I mean, I, I love it. I really wanted to, to hear that because it's, you, you nailed it. It's so true. And so many people lack belief as a main thing because they care about what everybody thinks all the time because of what they're doing. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons why they don't believe. They're afraid that if they try and fail, then what does it mean about them? They're afraid yeah. of what other people will think. They're afraid they can't do it. They're afraid that they'll die if they try. And I mean that literally, even though they don't consciously believe it. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's any number. And dude, I'll tell you, like, if you have serious heavy trauma, it's really hard to do these things. Like, mm -hmm. I succeeded. I used my trauma as fuel for the first half of my career. But, it, like, what got me there wasn't going to keep me there. And it wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to go. So I had to come like back down the mountain and deal with all my shit. And now I'm coming back up. Right. And it's a bigger mountain I'm coming up and uh, it's a, it's more of the mountain I want to be on. Um, and there's of course valleys on that, on that mountain, but like um, you can use negative or painful emotion to fuel you for a long time, but it almost always takes you over the top and down the other side. Mm. Uh, I, I, there, I cannot really think of any exceptions to that. I, and you go back in history, Alexander the Great, you know, like uh, Napoleon, whatever. Like it, 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 why you do something, where your energy comes from creates the ultimate end result. Mm. Almost always. I, I'm sure there's counterexamples. I can't think of them. I love it, man. I love it. So there's, um, 
a lot of people out there, I want to go back to the books and, and writing because this is really, I've been seeing it a lot in my life, people suggesting writing, you know, writing books, whatever. And what, so I really, I want to get clear for the listeners out here. What's the difference between them wanting to write a book one way and your way? I would love to just hear, because I know you guys help them completely do it, but like, can you kind of give the contrast of like, you know, the traditional way versus what you guys do? There is no traditional way. I mean, like dead serious. Like there's traditional publishing, there's publishing companies, but like there is no way to write a book. What we've done is systematically broken down every single step that it takes to write a book. And not like some asshole clown marketer who doesn't know anything about writing who's just selling a bullshit course. Like I'm a four-time New York Times bestselling writer who sold millions of books and helped uh, people like David Goggins who's selling, he's going to sell more books than me soon. It'll take (laughs) him about two, three years. He's going to pass me. And Tiffany Haddish and all these other people. So like we just, we, we've created an actual process. Yeah. Whereas the process before was like stumble around in the dark until you figure it out mm. for real. Now we've created an actual process that is not paint by numbers because there is a, there is a creative artistic element to writing where uh, it can't, it, if it gets too paint by numbers then it becomes mad libs, right? So you have to leave boxes of creativity. That's what people are looking for. That's what books are but we've taken out all of the hard parts in between those creativity that most people couldn't figure out or take forever to figure out. So the, it, if you want to see the difference, just go to scribebookschool.com. Yeah. That's our writing course. It's yeah. free and it's Dope. literally the entire, the entire process from yeah. start to finish. Like literally, first question, should I write a book? What kind of book should I write? You know, like, all, like we walk you through the entire thing. How do I deal with my fear? How do I set up my writing plan? What docs do I use? Like, how do I set them up? Like everything from, from fear to the logistics of your docs, we walk you through the entire thing for free. It's mm-hmm. absolutely, the information's for free. Now, you want a, our expertise or our time or you want higher-end services, that of course costs money. But we don't sell the information. I believe everyone should write a book. So we like literally taught the absolute best process in the world and gave it away for free. It's still free right now. Dude, it's, it's amazing. And I've looked at it. It's great. And we'll have all of that in the show notes. So here's another thing though, too, is a lot of people make these eBooks and these giveaway things. And what are your thoughts on, on making, I know obviously they're completely different, but like there's so many people giving away, Oh, buy my book, give my book away. You know, do they devalue themselves or is that a process? Like walk, talk us about that a little bit because. No, I mean, not necessarily. It depends. Yeah. Like we're giving away. I mean, this course is better. Most people sell book. People who sell courses like this sell them for, you know, a thousand to $3,000. Ours is better than all of theirs. And by a factor of like 10, it's yeah. not even close. There, there are all kinds of people who paid for those other courses and went to this one and then went back or like asked for their money back for the others. And like this free one's better. So free by itself does not mean bad. Now for us, because we can give this course away because it's lead gen for our, our high-end paid services that go from anywhere from like a couple thousand up to a hundred thousand, right? So like free is our marketing. Yeah, yeah. So it frees your marketing. That, that's what I love about having a service company is that we can give away stuff for free that is incredibly valuable, incredibly life-changing, and we win too. We make money as well. That's yeah. what I love about it. Um, so no. Giving stuff away does not devalue if it's good. What devalues books is when you write piece of shit books. <laughs> yeah, what makes a piece of shit book versus a good book? So uh, a bad cover. <laughs> yeah. Like like if the cover looks like you bought it on Fiverr, 
no, your book's not going to do well, even if the content's good. Uh, all kinds of misspellings and grammar errors, poorly structured book, poorly reasoned book, poorly written book. If the quality of either the content or the package, because the package matters, like for everything, um, if the quality of those are bad, that's bad. It's not the price anymore. It's the quality, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we say we're professional publishing, not self-publishing. It, technically, we, we, you know, we self-publish stuff for people. That, that is because we, the difference between self and traditional is in traditional, the, the bookstore or the book company owns your rights. In self-publishing, you own your rights, which I think is way better. I want to yeah. own my own rights as an author. That's sure. why I started that company. But the difference between what we do in self-publishing is self-publishing often looks self-published. Professional publishing looks amazing, mm, right? Yeah. Because you're working with experts and, and authorities who make sure, oh, this cover is amazing because it was designed by a world-class book cover designer. And, uh, you know, the layout looks great and there's no misspellings because the pro, you spent money to hire pros to get it right. Mm, love it. Man, I mean, it's, that's the thing is it's, it's fascinating because some, you've written four, what, four New York Times bestseller? Yeah. Oh, man, it's insane. You know, I mean, I love seeing like what makes a good one and a bad one. I mean, that's it's that's all logical advice. I mean, it, it makes total sense, man. And that's why I think, yeah, I mean, people are afraid to write it because they might fail or it might, you know, whatever the reason may be. Right? I mean, they're afraid they're going to look bad in front of people yeah. they care about. That's yeah. what they're. That's why. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's why our clients pay so much money. Is one, yeah. the process is complicated and difficult, so they save time, but also they want to make sure they look good. Like we yeah. call our editing process, we call it the hurt your feelings edit. And <laughs> and like, I, no, seriously, we do it kind of jokingly, awesome, dude. you know. Because, but yeah. the reason is because so many of our authors are so afraid they're going to look bad. And so one time in one of the workshops, I said, "Dude, listen to me. I promise you, I will hurt your feelings before I let you write a bad book." And he's like. Oh, thank you so much. Like he was relieved. I'm like, you guys like that? And they're like, oh, that's so great. And so I started saying that and they love it. And now that's what we call our edit is the hurt your feelings. And people get it. They, and they would, most of them would, anyone who's a pro would prefer to hear where they're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's the amateurs who just want like, you got to tell me I'm amazing. You know, like that's yeah. no one who's a pro wants that. Yeah. Fuck. That's a good tip, man. It's a good tip. What, um, so let's just get, let's say it again, just so that we put it all in the show notes. Where can everybody check out your work and find out more about you? So for, if you want to write a book, scribebookschool.com and then my writings at tuckermax.com. Yeah. I noticed when you're in your, on that site, you have your writing in like one single line. Like it's not like spread out. What is the reason for that? It's easier to read. I know. I, I wanted to hear it because narrow columns are easier. Either dyslexic. I was like, "Fuck, I like this." Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's genius, man. It's genius. I hi- highly suggest you guys check it out. Um, yeah, dude, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Thanks for having me, dude. Happy to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. And just to end, one one question I ask everybody for a takeaway: mm-hmm. Out of all the lessons of adversity and challenges you've faced, what's the number one? lesson that adversity has taught you i think it goes back to what we talked about um but to state it even more succinctly all the trauma and adversity i've faced in my life uh i've found a way to use it to make me better you get to you can't decide what happens to you all, all the time right but you can always decide what it means to you awesome brother Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
Yep. Thanks, man. You too, Tucker Max, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Make sure to go check out Tucker on Instagram. Go check out Scribe Media. If you're interested in writing a book, make sure you go check him out. He's got a lot of great content as well on his website. And he's, he's the guy to go to if you want to write a book. So love you guys. I appreciate you. Stay safe out there. We'll catch you next time.